Welcome to the Libertarian Podcast from the Hoover Institution. I'm your host, Troy Senek, and the Libertarian is Professor Richard Epstein, the Peter and Kirsten Bedford Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution, the Lawrence A. Tisch Professor of Law at NYU, and Senior Lecturer at the University of Chicago. Today, taxing and spending in the Biden era. And Richard, so we've got the Biden administration moving aggressively on a lot of fronts, moving aggressively to the left. They have a lot of spending plans for pre-K, for free community college, for more Obamacare subsidies, for infrastructure, for paid family leave, all of which, of course, raises the question of how they're going to pay for that. Well, they've got an answer, which is they're going to tax the rich. So let's start here. One of the ways they're proposing to do that is by increasing the capital gains rate. And their proposal would take it way higher than it's ever been. In high-tax states like California and New York, you could be looking at a rate over 50%. And what's truly impressive about your new Defining Ideas column is how many different fronts you skewer this on. You say it'd be bad for the economy. It'd actually be bad for federal revenue. So walk us through why, in your judgment, upping the capital gains rate would have such negative consequences? Well, I mean, the first thing one has to do is to distinguish between capital gains on the one hand and ordinary income, because they're basically taxed under very different regimes. Uh, the income tax essentially is mandatory on you the moment that you uh, collect the money. So there's very little that you can do to evade the tax. There may be something that you can do to shelter it by making various kinds of investments. The capital gains tax is a tax on unrealized appreciation when the stock in question is sold typically in the marketplace. So if I have a stock that costs me $100 and it's worth $1,000, there's $900 worth of potential gain in that transaction, but it's selective with me as to whether or not I wish to sell that particular stock at the holder. The higher the capital gains tax, the more reluctance I will have uh, to sell that particular shot. What happens is I will now have to pay a very high rate so that if I'm going to reinvest the money uh, and I pay half of it in taxes, I'm going to have to get double the return on the new investment to make it worthwhile for me uh, to pull out. And so what you would expect is that all other things being equal, there will be actually a decline in the total revenues that come from the increase in the tax. These things are very tricky to do because for the most part, Biden is in completely new territory. He wants to raise the capital gain tax to 39.6%, I believe, throw on top of it a Medicare subsidy of one kind or another, 38 or 9%. So it's over 43%. Uh, that has never been the level of capital gains tax. Uh, traditionally, if you go back to, say, the 1990s, 28% is the maximum everybody used, and it's been as low as 15%. And if you start looking at a chart, which I put in my defining ideas argument, it's not the final word with respect to anything. But what it does show is that when you cut the capital gains tax in half, 10 years later, the total revenue from the capital gains disposition uh, had roughly doubled. Uh, you could always say that there's some confounding variable in this situation, whether it's the internet boom or the Iraq war, you name it, you can do it. But generally speaking, when you get effects that pronounced, you may be able to diminish the effects by pointing to other factors, but you could never eliminate them. And there's also the possibility when you take these other factors into account, the gain is even more impressive than you might have otherwise thought, because some of those other changes may well have inhibited the use of stock in the stock market. So if they're trying to make their revenue targets, uh, this is simply not going to be able to work, and they're going to find themselves deeper in the hole. 
If it turns out that you do this, then there are going to be other sorts of economic consequences. And since you said I had so many lines of attack, I'll let you pick up the one you want me to talk about. <laughs> well, I actually want to take you to something related that was in the column, uh, but was not the focus of it. One of the other pushes the administration is making is to increase the corporate tax rate, which, of course, was cut dramatically during the Trump administration, down from 35 percent to 21 percent. The Biden administration wants to raise it back up to 28 percent. And we've heard the argument here. They'll say there are these big, wealthy corporations, and they all find ways to avoid paying taxes anyway. Surely they can afford to pay a little bit more. What's wrong with that analysis, Richard? Well, first of all, corporations in some sense don't pay taxes. The taxes gets passed through to individuals. They could be shareholders of the particular firm. They can be suppliers. They can be employees. They can be customers. You start raising that particular tax uh, to get these revenues. What's going to happen is the internal operation of the corporation is necessarily going to change. It's going to make it more difficult to pay for its suppliers the same levels that it could do before. And it's going to influence things with your customers as well. And so the thought that somehow or other, if you increase the capital or the corporate tax gain by 7%, you're going to get essentially 33 and a third percent more revenue by going from 21 uh, to 28 is always a pipe dream. Uh, in a dynamic market, uh, these things always go south in some sense. The other thing, of course, about this is that we'll interact with the other tax. A corporate tax is essentially uh, uh, determines, at least in part, what's going to be the anticipated share value in the market. And so if shareholders now realize that they're going to lose more money to taxation than before, what they will do is they will essentially sell off the shares so that the rate of return that they get from these assets um, when there's a lower amount of money, will roughly be the same that they had before. You can never achieve that because the whole economy is worse, uh, but you're going to try to move in that direction. So you then put these things in together. What you do is you raise the corporate tax. It's going to reduce the values of shares. Then if you're going to try to get anything from the capital gains tax, the total amount of gains that you could potentially tax are going to be reduced as well uh, so that the two taxes then start to interfere and you're going to be short on the revenue targets on both sides. One of the things that the uh, uh, Biden administration just wants to say is they wanted to spend $80 billion, I think was the number, on uh, enforcement to make sure that these rascals are caught. Uh, there's a real danger with respect to this. If you can catch the innocent, you could also catch the guilty. Um, and sometimes you're just going to hit the wrong people. Uh, if you're going to have that kind of stuff being spent on compliance, you're going to have different kinds of behaviors on the other side. Uh, so what happens is the high tax regime will then increase administrative costs, which in turn will cut into profits at the corporate level and capital gains at the individual level. Nobody got rich by taxing these people. The way you make money is try to lower taxes and improve market behavior, take a smaller share of a larger pie, um, and you will do generally better than trying to take a hog share of a very tiny pie, uh, which you're in the danger of completely bringing it down. So this is an extremely reckless, completely ill-thought-out kind of an arrangement. Uh, unfortunately, it's what I've come to expect from the uh, Sanders administration, which is traveling under disguise, the Warren administration, under the name of Joe Biden. I don't believe that he's in charge of all of this. At least the old Biden is not in charge of all of this. There is an irony present in the Democrats' theory of taxation, which is that it is organized under the mantra of 
tax the wealthy. They say you don't have to worry about it if you're making under $400,000 a year. But there is one tax cut for the wealthy that Democrats are very enthusiastic about. During the Trump administration, there was a cap placed on the ability to deduct state and local taxes. And this has its biggest effect, as one would expect, in high-tax states. And those high-tax states, as one would expect, tend to be Democratic states. A lot of Democrats in Congress, especially, now want to get rid of that tax. The White House has not been committal about it. But Richard, I have heard conservatives argue for that cap on the grounds that it's a subsidy to high tax states. I've also heard a much smaller I mean, the removal of the tax is a subsidy to the high tax states. Yes, yes. I, and I've heard a much smaller cohort of people on the right argue uh, against it on the grounds that it is double taxation, that you shouldn't be taxed on money that you're paying out to your state and local government. What, what's your view on that? Well, I think everybody's right, as the rabbi once said a very long time ago. Uh, the situation is that under the previous arrangement, all of your state and local taxes and real estate taxes were deductible from your federal taxes. And so it was not at all unreasonable if you had somebody who earned, say, a million dollars in New York State, taking into account the income tax, the real estate tax, and any other taxes that might fall within the deductible cap, and that you would be talking about $125,000, $150,000 would be a very real estimate. You deduct that from the federal taxes, that's that's say roughly 40%, and all of a sudden you've now saved $60,000, which is real money. And so what happens is the Democrats want to get rid of it. The problem that they have is if you get rid of the SALT, the state and local tax limitation of $10,000, then the federal government is going to have to find some other way in which to make up that particular tax. Now, one of the things they could do is tax the very rich people who want to claim the deduction and raise their rates by, say, 10%. Uh, and then all of a sudden what happens is your state bill goes down, but your federal bill goes up. Uh, the reason why many conservatives basically want the limitation is they think, in effect, that it stops the cross-subsidies taking place between states. Um, the ironic situation about this is that there are two kinds of rich people, those who are absolutely enthusiastic about having themselves taxed at a heavier level and those who don't like it. And one of the things about local politics, which is so strange, is that if you had a majority of people who were relatively wealthy who were opposed to the state tax increase, what they are saying, the conservatives, and quite rightly, is they lose twice. First of all, what happens is they get majoritarian excesses in the state government that imposes tax against them at will. The money is all designed to be redistributed, so it's not a question of there being returned benefits and superior social services. So then what happens is you have to pay that stuff out, and then you have to pay your taxes if you didn't pay it out. They're basically treating money, which is an exaction from you, as though it were consumption for your own benefit, and they're generally very ticked off about that. And so the question is, which of these two perils do you think is, in fact, the more serious? And the argument in favor of salt, which I tentatively and cautiously expected, is if you essentially give the deduction, you're just going to only increase the underlying problem of outrageous state levels of taxation, promiscuous spending, and the whole thing. Uh, salt at least gives you the chance of trying to reduce the size of the problem. It is interesting, of course, that even with the salt limitations in place, uh, governors like Cuomo and Gavin Newsom and so forth are always eyeing some higher taxes of one form or another, always eyeing some federal subsidies. Um, I think, in effect, you have to stick with the Trump line on this one and say, uh, we just don't don't want to bail this out. 
The interesting feature is if you don't create the offset, many uh, liberal Democrats are going to vote against the particular proposal because they will think, in fact, that the general tax interest is on the wealthy is not going to be enough to offset the revenue starving that they have. Uh, the basic problem of this situation is there's a first order and a second order question. The first order question is how much of, gov- of social resources do you want to be run by the government? My view is as little as possible necessary to main infrastructure narrowly defined and the like. Their view is the more the merrier. You could put everything that you want into that particular bundle. But if, in fact, you decide the government is going to run 70% of the economy, it's going to have to find a way to, through taxation or borrowing to generate that kind of revenue. And the second order question is which way you get it. And the answer is, if you have that size of government spending, uh, the second order question, taxes, revenues, state, federal, whatever it is, is a second order problem. The real mistake is you're going to kill the economy by having the government run the things that it doesn't know how to do, which is just about everything that it tries to run. Final question for you. Uh, Milton Friedman used to make the point that the real level of taxation is the level of spending because that's where the obligation is incurred. So if you're not paying it in today's taxes, you're paying it in tomorrow's via interest, or you're going to pay for it via inflation. It is pretty amazing that there was an enormous hue and cry when Barack Obama, barely more than a decade ago, signed a stimulus bill with a price tag of $787 billion. And now Joe Biden is following one multi-trillion dollar spending bill with proposals for another multi-trillion dollar spending bill. And I think there's another one behind that. There is a sizable community of people out there who say that doesn't matter. The interest rates are low. It's a good time to borrow. If you believe the modern monetary theory crowd, they say we can just print our way out of any problems anyway. There are people who say the multipliers of all this spending will be so great that it'll at least partially pay for itself. How worried are you about the level of government spending? I essentially believe that uh, we've been able to keep inflation in fact, in large part because the circulation of money has been relatively slow given the problems associated with COVID. Um, There is, I think, a serious risk that the inflation risk will start to return. I don't know where or when, uh, but if it does come, it's likely to come all in a rush. So, I mean, the thing that makes this so difficult is you could have sunny days and calm seas for a very long period of time, then run into a patch of air, and you have basically tectonic forces running the other way around. I have, as you know, generally on this show, not been so much of an inflation hawk on this. I have stressed the global inefficiencies of trying to run the government with anything, even if there is is no inflation risk. I think in the end, that inflation risk will start to come back. You already see a bunch of stories about it. My friend Michael Bordo, also a Hoover fellow, um, had a column in the Wall Street Journal which said, you know, that this may be coming after you. More of a monetary economist than I am, to put it at least. But I tend to think that that is, in fact, something you can't go on forever. And I think Biden kind of realizes it because if he thought you could go on forever by printing money, he would cut the taxes to zero and just borrow. Uh, and then borrow again to pay the borrowing and so forth. It's a mix. And what Milton Friedman said, to be kind of more precise about what it was, he says there are three ways in which you could raise revenues for the government. You could tax, you can borrow and then repay, or you can inflate the currency. And he says it doesn't matter as a first-order matter which you do if you expand the total supply. As a second-order matter, it really is very, very important. And at this particular point, the Biden people don't know. Let me sort of 
put it in another way. Um, the amount of wealth that the very rich have is not constant. If you treat this as kind of relatively confiscatory taxes, that total body of wealth is going to be spent. And then you won't be able to get the income from the very wealthy because you've already compensated their capital to begin with. So the lump sum that you get at the front end is going to be accompanied by losses in annual income in future years. I think you're playing with fire under these circumstances. And certainly since it turns out that the so-called firemen in Congress are basically people spreading accelerants all around the land. I just don't trust them for this to happen. Um, I hope that some of the Democrats will start to peel off from this situation. I would assume at this particular point that there is zero Republican support for this particular program, and uh, I think it's likely to stay that way. Let me mention one other thing. You mentioned the Obama stimulus bill. These are not just taxing bills and spending bills. They're America first preference bills of one kind or another. And so they, and they, they preserve the Davis Bacon Act. And so what happens is they are combined with high spending with a toxic set of preferential treatments uh, to basically please Biden's most reliable ally, labor unions and other people as well. And so it's even worse than the simple numbers would start to say. We have a government which is determined to overtax on the one hand, overregulate on the other hand, and then announce that the rich people are going to be perfectly happy to do all this and nobody will retire, nobody will move overseas, foreign investment will continue to come into the United States. Uh, Rules have incentives and I fear this particular case, if Biden gets his way, we will end up reaping the whirlwind. You've been listening to The Libertarian Podcast with Richard Epstein. Remember, you can read Richard's column, The Libertarian, at definingideas at hoover.org. And if you enjoy the podcast, please rate the show on iTunes or wherever you listen. For Richard Epstein, I'm Troy Sinek. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a production of the Hoover Institution, where we advance ideas that define a free society and improve the human condition. For more information about our work or to listen to more of our podcasts or watch our videos, please visit hoover.org.